The message is entitled, The Apostle James. We'll see that he is the son of Alphaeus as we move through it, but it's the Apostle James. Now, the Bible is full of information about people used by God that we might see the work of God in their lives that we might be exhorted in our own potential for Christ. Because usually we look at somebody and says, man, I, I, I wish I could be him. Or I wish God would use me like him. But see, everybody's individual. God uses you differently. You're not to compare yourselves among yourselves. In the world, we're always looking to people that we look up to, and there's nothing wrong with having people like that. The problem is that we want to be like them or be them. Or we're in competition. It's not what it is in the Lord. And yet, on the other hand, there are those who are like trees that have but one or two leaves. Very little is known about them. At times, nothing, just their name and maybe their location of birth or their genealogy, very little. In fact, three of the last four apostles are this kind. We know absolutely nothing about them. Um, they are James, the son of Alphaeus, um, Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, uh, and Simon the Canaanite. And again, we're using the um, list in Matthew chapter 10, verse 3 and 4 through all the 12. We're taking that order. So let's look at James, the son of Alphaeus, in view of three things. First, the little we know about James. We want to look at that. Secondly, the lack of information that is common as a practice in the Bible. And thirdly, the lessons God wants us to learn from James. We begin with the little we know about James. The man James is known as the son of Alphaeus. The name Alphaeus means changing. Um, the name is identified with two other apostles, the apostle Matthew known as Levi, was the son of Alphaeus also in Mark 2.14. And the son of Zebudes, the sons of thunder, remember, were sons of Alphaeus, uh, once again, Matthew 10.3 here in Mark 15.40. Now, he is distinct from other men called James. So when you go through the scriptures, you have to mark who the James is that is being directed. He is distinct from James, the son of Zebedee, that we've seen already. And uh, he is distinct from James, the Lord's brother, who's a half-brother. And he is distinct from James, the father of Judas, in Luke 6, 16 and Acts 1, 13. Now, he is the leader of the fourth group of four. This is the least intimate of the three groups. Three of these last four, we literally know nothing. Scriptures have very little to say about them or nothing at all. The only one that we have much information is about Judas Iscariot, and it's very obvious why, because he's the one that betrayed the Lord. Yet it would be a great mistake to think of the third group as inferior or less important to the other two groups of four. The twelve, remember, were chosen um, from many disciples that Jesus had. He didn't just have the twelve. There were many. At one time, he sent out seventy, two by two. Many walked with Jesus for the mere physical benefit. The crowds followed him around. Jesus said one day, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everything in life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent him to seal, set a seal on him. And he said this in John six twenty six or 27. So there's a lot of reason people come to church. If you think everybody comes here because they have a halo on their head, no, some of you have horns on your head. People come to church for different reasons, some to find a wife, some to find a husband, some to see what they can get, and some people because they love the Lord, right? Different reasons, 
I can't see the heart. You can't see the heart. But God does. And that's what we trust. We trust God to take care of his church. The church is not the building. You're the church if you're a Christian. So it's good that you are the church and not just go to church. It's very important. Um, Many turn away from Jesus, you know, when he asks for a complete commitment. Um, John tells us, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? Meaning the context to be the twelve apostles. That's the choosing here. And one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And so John chapter 6, 66 to 71. Now, the name James means uh, surplanter, conniver. It's the Greek name of the Hebrew name Jacob, if you remember, as we studied Jacob in the Old Testament. Um, the son of Isaac, the surplanter, was brought to the end of himself by God as he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, there at the brook just the night before his brother came to him. And he's called James the Less, whose brother was Joseph, we are told in Mark fifteen forty. The word for less is micros or micros, any way you want to pronounce it, which means little, least, small, or less. It is used for the little children um, who are caused to stumble by another, as Jesus said, woe to you who stumbles a child in Matthew eighteen six. It is used of the mustard seed, which is the least or the smallest of seeds in those days in the parable of the sower in Matthew in Mark four thirty one. And his use of Zacchaeus, remember, who was of little stature in Luke 19.30 because he climbed up the tree to see Jesus because he couldn't see him because of the crowd. It is used of men in authority, small and great in Revelation 11.18. His name could refer to being younger. His name could also refer that he was of small influence or popularity, but most likely it probably refers to his stature. Um, his identity of, uh, here of James, the son of Alphaeus, results in many um, interesting possibilities. You always have uh, what the Bible says, and then you have what people add to the Bible, which you should know it as opinion, not fact, Okay. Um, there's only one angel called an archangel, Michael the archangel, okay? But people believe that there were three archangels to balance the trinity of God. Well, that's nice and it fits good, but God hasn't revealed that. So where the Bible is silent, we're silent. We don't have the liberty to speak on it, okay? Uh, there are only um, possibilities, not facts, uh, some believe that the father of James, Alphaeus, is also identified as Cleopas um, or Clopas there in uh, John nineteen twenty five. After the resurrection, they were on the road to Emmaus. It's possible because of the genealogy that you look at, but we're not sure. Clopas was one of the two men, as I said, in Matthew 24. But Clopas was uh, the husband of Mary, who is said to be the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was at the cross along with um, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, we are told in Luke, as well as John. Uh, three Marys are listed at the cross, if you remember. Since it is unlikely that a mother would name two of her daughters Mary, some interpret the word sister to mean sister-in-law, and that would mean that she was married to the brother of Joseph, the supposed father of Jesus. What would, that would mean that James, the son of Alphaeus, would be the cousin of Jesus and John the Baptist, because we know John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. 
But if the Mary, a claw, passes, another Mary, distinct from the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, then she is Salome. And I believe this is the accurate one, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John in Mark 15:40. So it's a little tricky because you have to follow the genealogies. But a lot of people say a lot of things that are possible. But if it's not recorded in Scripture, if we cannot verify by Scripture, then it's not revelation. It's not absolute truth. You know, you have a 12-inch ruler, and it has 12 inches of a foot, and a yard has three feet. And when someone says, well, that looks like it's about 10 inches. Well, that's fine. I'll take, that's a good shot. But if I'm going to buy a carpet, I need to measure it, right? And I need to be accurate, right? And, uh, and, and that's important. And it's, it's interesting how many times people do not verify what is stated to the scriptures. They just accept it as biblical truth, and it's not. James, the son of Alphaeus, could also be the brother of Matthew, whose father is also named Alphaeus in Mark 2.14. There is no way of knowing for sure. So again, man's opinions are just exactly that. Um, so we verify absolute truth by the standard of the word of God. Now, the ministry of James, um, he was an apostle by qualification. He is found in all four lists of the apostles, Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts 1, all four lists. He has seen the Lord, as you know, testified of him, of his resurrection from personal knowledge. Uh, we get this in John 15, 27, Acts 1, 21, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, and other passages. And so um, he had seen the Lord prior to his death, after his death. He had been immediately called to that office by Christ as an apostle. Again, Luke 6.13, Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. Um, he partook of the power of miracles because as Jesus sent them out two by twos to heal and to do other things, they, they partook of this power to do those things. Um, the 12 apostles, therefore, could not have had successors. Um, there's a lot of push in that today that people say, well, I'm an apostle. I beg your pardon? An apostle of what? But usually people want to claim these titles to exalt themselves above you or to make you think that they are more spiritual or closer to God than you. All right? It's pride. It's arrogance. It's stupidity. Um, they were the only ones authorized to teach doctrine. And we have it recorded in Scripture. There is no new doctrine. There is no pastor, no theologian. Nobody has any right to add to the Scriptures anything that is not recorded in there. Very, very important. The office of an apostle extended beyond the twelve, though, distinct from the twelve. In Second Corinthians 8.23 and Philippians 2.25, Paul mentions other apostles that succeeded the 12 apostles. Uh, the fact um, that the same Greek word apostello is translated messenger as well as apostle in 2 Corinthians 8.23 kind of indicates what it means. as one who is sent out. The attempt to equate oneself with the authority of one of the 12 for today's church is a bit um, presumptuous, as I said, and the modern-day apostle would be better... Um, fulfilled by missionaries who are sent out to minister the gospel. But anybody who goes out to preach the gospel is fulfilling the very word apostle, apostello, apple away from, and sent, sent away. Okay, you minister the gospel. Now, he without doubt, James, was present at many of the miracles that Jesus performed. The feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the blind man, the Restoring of Malchus' ear there in the garden after Peter whacked him. And Jesus just restores his ear. Probably freaked him out. The calming of the sea at Galilee when Jesus declared, wind, be muzzled. And they say, who is this man? <laughs> he was one of the twelve sent out to cast out demons heal the sick, proclaim the gospel to the lost sheep of the house of Israel because the gospel was sent to the Jews first. The Messiah was promised to the Jew first. 
Jew first, then the Gentile. Paul makes that very clear in Romans. Not in terms of importance, but in terms of priority at time, because the scriptures were given to the Jew, not to the Gentile. The church came in after the Messiah came in the rest of the church age. Jew and Gentile wanted Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases at set times. It wasn't in and of themselves. The 70 returned with joy. Listen to what they said in Luke 10, 17 through 20. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We as people are moved and impressed by the miraculous, by the power and authority people have and exercise. God isn't. He says, you want to rejoice over something, rejoice that you've repented from your sins, that your name's written in the book of life, and that when you die, you will be instantly present with me. That's something to get excited about. The older you get, the faster you run out of tape. There are more people behind me than in front of me any longer. We just had Roger's funeral yesterday. Every time a person dies, we move up one notch. And nobody wants to butt in line. <laughs> he was present when the Lord appeared to the eleven, as well as the next time when Thomas was present, as you know, in John 20. He's not mentioned in particular, but... It says that the 12 were there, or the 11 at that time. And he's not recorded as saying anything. He's just there as one of the 12 apostles of Jesus who would be sent out to the world with the message of the gospel. Very little information. He preached in Persia, tradition tells us. Modern-day Iran. Having healed the king who was sick, the king embraced the gospel, we are told. Again, this is tradition, not the scripture. History. One of his right-hand men had James crucified. It's interesting today, all these countries are given to Islam. Many of them. Interesting. You know, the policy of, um, of the editors of Appleton's Cyclopedia of America biography was to accept in good faith all material received by mail. This opened the door to an unknown practical joker who sent them at least 84 biographies of fictional persons between 1886 and 1888. Although these individuals were figments of the person's imagination, their our, our, our achievements and books credited to them were supposed to be well-known in their practical professions. The fake entries went unnoticed until 1919 when 14 were discovered by a librarian. This started a more thorough search which brought to light 70 more by 1936. Now, such is not the case regarding the list of the 12 apostles. They are the real apostles. Jesus chose them after an entire night in prayer. And one was James, the son of Alphaeus. You see, everything you read, you have to examine it against what is known about what is being said in the world. When you read the Bible... There's no need to question it. It's absolutely without error, without infallibility. Now, that's a belief by faith what God says about his word. 
I've been studying the Bible for 45 years and I've never found any contradiction in it. Seeming contradictions that can be explained. There is no contradiction between true science and the Bible. God set the laws of gravity, science, everything else. Read Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Okay? But human hypothesis, opinions, they're contrary to the word of God. A hypothesis is something that if this is true, then this is the result. But the if is the question. It's not a fact. It's if. All right? God speaks in absolute truth. There's no question about it. Today we, um, we need men and women like James who um, answer the call, even though they are never um, or will never be spoken about or known by most people. And that's the question. Do I serve the Lord because I want to be seen or want to be known? Or do I serve the Lord because I love him? Um, do you do what you do for your wife or your husband because you want people to say, man, that guy is too much? Or do you do it because you love them? If you do it because you love them, then you, you never expect any thanks. You never... In fact, when they hear go, don't worry about it. Hmm. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened, and they heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. God is an eavesdropper. He hears what you say and what I say. He writes in the book. Today we need in the church those who know and are willing to exercise their gift faithfully as unto the Lord, not man, recognizing the responsibility and accountability to the Lord. You're not accountable to me. You're not responsible to me. I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you. You have all the right to question what I say. If you have a Bible, say, listen, I don't think you're right here. And then if you can prove me from the scripture, I'm wrong. I'll say, hey, thanks a lot. But I'm not going to accept your opinion. Some people say, well, he's not open. No, I just don't accept your stupid opinion. That's all. You give me a biblical fact? Okay, let's talk about it. Listen to Paul, Romans 12, 3 through 6 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. For as we have many members in the body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another, having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them for the prophecy, prophecy proportion the measure of faith that he's given to us romans 12 3 through 6 so he uses the illustration of the body as i told you often this right hand is not identical to the left hand but they're both hands but if you examine them under a microscope they're different this half of your body is different from this half okay but all the members are necessary and this hand has never fought with the left hand this hand has never wanted to be a foot they all know what they are and they just help the rest of the body these hands help me brush my teeth, eat, get dressed. And they don't say, you know, why don't you let the foot do some of this stuff, man? We're tired. No, they don't say that. Right? What is your gift? What has God called you to do? Very important. Today there are the need. There's a need for the vessels of honor. People who are walking with God. People who are living in holiness. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, uh, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We're not holy in ourselves. We're wholly sinful. It's been 45 years. You want to go sin? I'm ready to go. I have to deny myself daily. Sin doesn't get better. You have a sin nature the day you die. But as a Christian, now you have divine nature that you can override that sin. You can say no to it. Okay? But it's a warfare, right? It's not cruise control. So the little that we know about, Jesus, about James here tells us he was such a man. 
by that information. Secondly, let's look at the lack of information that is a common practice in the Bible. Because many people say, well, why did God not share more? Well, regarding people, the life of our Lord Jesus is limited to the years from 12 years old to 30 years of age, as you know. And then three years there. Uh, from 30 to 33 to his crucifixion. God in his sovereign wisdom chose to disclose only that. And, and there were the silent years. Now man again tries to help God out. And he says, well, Jesus from 12 to 33 went to Egypt. And he learned all the magical arts. And he will heal little birds and all that. Shut up. Where do you get that? You take some acid or what? Um, people just speak freely. As if they're the Holy Spirit. God revealed only the things that were necessary for us and that we need. I mean, stop and look at your Bible. It's not, it's not very thick for 6,000 years of history. Okay? The creation, only two chapters. If you were a scholar, you would have 250 volumes. The life of Paul is limited from his conversion until he's called to Antioch. He was saved in Damascus Road, preached Christ, and the um, abode in Arabia back and forth, Acts 9 tells us in Galatians 1.18. And he was um, persecuted by the Jews at Damascus. And uh, at one point, they, they sought to kill him, and they let him down in a basket, and he scurried over to Jerusalem and met um, Peter and James there. And he was with them 15 days, and then he was shipped off um, up to Antioch, and then later Tarsus. Uh, you find that in Acts 9, also 2 Corinthians 11. He was shunned by all, thinking he was not a disciple when he got to Jerusalem. But Barnabas took a chance on him. He met the Lord's brother, James. Fifteen days up to Caesarea. And then to Tarsus. And then there's those silent years of Paul. We don't know for nine years what he did. All we know is that he preached the gospel. And everybody says, is this the guy that used to kill Christians? Used to persecute them? He labored for nine years in obscurity then. From the churches of Judea. And uh, Galatians 1, 21 to 24 gives us that record. But they glorify God in that he preached the gospel. Now didn't persecute Christians. He was sought out by Barnabas once the work in Antioch began. And um, they taught in Antioch for an entire year there in Acts 11, 25 through 26. So the information we have um, is very important. And then we have his three missionary journeys and his last imprisonment there. And, but we don't know if he was released. Some, we believe he was released because he wrote Second Timothy. But we don't have the accurate record of that because the book of Acts doesn't give it to us or the epistles. So we need to be certain about what is revealed and then where there's room for what it could have been and there's a possibility because this, we have this evidence, then we back it up with scripture. Other than that, we shouldn't go beyond it. Now, the list of heroes in the Hall of Faith, as you know, when you read book of Hebrews chapter 11, 35 through 40, a lot of information is not given. Just very brief things. Uh, um, those who were well known to us by the abundant information uh, we have in Scripture, but he only gives brief things there, like Abraham, Moses, uh, Rahab, uh, David, Samuel, and many, many others, Baruch, Jephthah. And those who were uh, have little or absolutely no information about just little things. Others we have a little more. Um, women received their dead, raised from the dead again. And others were tortured, were, were told, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better uh, resurrection. Trusting God, they believed what God had revealed about them. Still others had trials of mocking, scourging, uh, even chains and imprisonments, we are told there in Hebrews uh, 11.36. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. I, I, it's a believe that that reference to Isaiah that was... Uh, that was cut in two with a wooden saw. Uh, they wondered about in sheep's clothing, uh, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, men and women of faith, heroes, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, and caves of the earth, we're told. All of these having obtained a good testimony 
through faith did not receive the promise while they were living. And so God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Verse 40 says of that chapter in Hebrews. Now, there's a guy named uh, Malkija, the son of Rechabite. And if you remember that uh, back in the book of Jeremiah, God sent Jeremiah to pour wine before the Rechabites to see if they would violate their covenant with God. And they refused to violate in Jeremiah 35, 2 through 17. And Jeremiah said to the house of Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of, of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandments of Jonadab, your father, and kept all this precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Jeremiah 35, 18 through 19. This little name comes up. Where do you find them again? In Nehemiah chapter 3, 14, after God brought back the Jews to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, where is the Rechabite? He is at the refuge gate, the gate where they take all the dung, all the trash, all the excrement, everything. He's faithful. Nehemiah 3, 14, he's right there faithfully serving the Lord. Wow. That's what God called him to do. Amazing. Regarding places, the location of the Ark of the Covenant, we don't know where it's at. We're not told. No one knows. Sometimes people say, well, you know, they, they, we have it, but it's never been proven. People say a lot of things. The exact location of the tomb of Jesus. Some of you were in Israel with us this last year. Um, where we visit there next to Golgotha is known as Gordon's Calvary or Gordon's Tomb, uh, British um, um, archaeologists discovered it there and that's right next to the hill of skull Golgotha and so it, it's approximately the location fits it, it the location the nearness the the cistern is there everything else but we not we can't say for sure but if it isn't you have a good example of that place which Jesus was I'm buried in that tomb. And there's a tomb in there. There's a garden. There's everything else. Okay? Um, and so it's important that we go what the scripture says. The exact location that Paul was in Arabia. It says he was in Arabia. It doesn't reveal it. We don't know. But it was in Arabia back and forth. And when you go to Israel, there are two things that you can be absolutely sure that are in the same place. I always tell people when we go there. One is the Mount of Olives. The other one is the Sea of Galilee. They've never moved. Everything else is roundabout. There's so much archaeological stuff and tells underneath. They dig them up or they're building a road and they run into something. So they have to put it off and they discover something new all over. Entire cities are on earth. There's also regarding periods of time. There's 16 years between Genesis 16, 16, and the next verse is 17.1. 16 years of silence. Was God busy? He chose to say nothing. The 430 years of captivity in Egypt is declared rather than described in the sweep of the pen while the visit to Egypt to redeem the people of God is recorded with very much detail Chapter 1 to 13 in Exodus. That God chose. He knew we needed that. It is sufficient enough that God said it took place. But then he gives very descriptive, elaborate information. That sometimes and other times not so much. The 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. Um, the condition of the people at that time. Malachi was the last prophet. Um, much turmoil and sin was going on. And no known prophet was speaking. So you have 400 years of silence. And John the Baptist breaks that silence. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. Repent. The kingdom of God's at hand. 
the very same message that Malachi left off with. It's like there's no 400 years of silence. You could join them together. Malachi proclaimed repentance to the people of God in view of their present sin and in view of the coming of Messiah. What do we do as Christians? We preach the gospel for people to repent of their present sin in view of the coming Messiah for his church. The message has not changed, ladies and gentlemen. It's the same. If the church you go to entertains you, has all kinds of programs and a lot of things that really are not biblical, they don't study the word of God, why do you go there? People want to be busy today. They want to be around people. But they don't have a heart for God to study the word of God. God sees our heart. He knows where we're at. In relationship to all that could be written about Jesus, very little is known, but all that God wants us to know has been revealed and recorded. Listen to John. John uh, In John 21, 25, he states, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So be it. So God selected just what we have. People say, well, you know, there's a lot of books that were excluded. Really? Where did you hear that, Einstein? It's amazing. The scriptures tell us that the secret things belong to God and the ones he reveals belong to us and the children forever. Um, and he fulfills this in himself. Now, when he said that is in Deuteronomy 29, 29, and the context was speaking about Israel and the people would know that God had put them into captivity because of their sin against God. And also that he would return them. How he would return them, he didn't reveal at that time. Later on, he reveals it through Cyrus and all that. And, 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 and as he reveals his Nebuchadnezzar and different things, but um, that's God's doing. There's some things God has not revealed at the time. Later is progressive revelation, so he gives it to us. Um, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals to us the things of God we're told. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 through 16. Um, uh, for here and now, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay? And the, and the natural man doesn't understand things of the spirit, but we understand all things. We judge all things because we have the mind of Christ. We need to put it on. And it's for here and not, not when you die, not when you get to heaven. It's talking about here and now. The secret things belong to God. He reveals those things. He lays it out for us. Man is able to know the things of man by his fallen spirit, but things of God can only be known by the spirit of God. That's why when non-believers hear the gospel, they say, when is this guy going to shut up? And there's another person right next to them, and they're going to get saved. They can't wait to make a decision. Two thieves on the cross. One says, remember me. The other one says, forget you. You going to blame God for that? We make a decision. And so man is able to know the things of God. They're recorded. The believer has received the Spirit of God. He can know the mind of God, the word of God. The privilege of the believer is that he has the mind of Christ. And the trouble with man is that he fails to put it on, Philippians 2.5. The Lord will use us differently in different periods of our life. As you move through life, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus that we might walk in those good works, Ephesians 2.10 says. God goes before us. We are his poem, his message to the world. Can you handle being a James, knowing that no one knows anything about you, what you do or what or how much you do, but you're just God knows? Is that sufficient that God knows what you do? That's important. Can you be as committed as Paul to labor in some obscure place for nine years or the rest of your life? And that's it. Or do you need to be known? Esther, remember? Her uncle said, it's okay, you don't want to go before the king, but who's to know that God has raised you for such a time and such a place as this? But if not, deliverance will come for the people of God from somewhere else. 
What if God has prepared you for one, one, one thing? Does that bother you? It should humble you that God has chosen you for that one thing. Then every day you should be in preparation of your heart towards God that you walk in his ways that you not miss that one thing. Promotion does not come from the east to the west, but from the Lord. Um, Psalm 103.12 says. So the lack of information is common practice in the Bible. You find it all over. Let's finish up with some lessons. The lessons God wants us to learn. The message is more important than the man. The man or woman is a mere instrument. Paul puts it this way. He says that Apollos uh, uh, and him, um, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. And so um, God is the one who's in control using us differently. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. The work is of God. Um, and, and so someone may preach the gospel and nothing will happen. Somebody will come by and start ministry and they'll accept the Lord through them. Watering and planting differently. The power of God is not of the instrument of human wisdom. But we always get caught up with the man. And we get sidetracked. Our eyes are to be on the Lord. In my speech, Paul says, in my preaching, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the failure of pastors and churches. They put all these shenanigans on to get people's attention on them to think that they're so great. Listen, we, if, if they compress us down in a vice, we would amount up to about that much material. We're mostly air and hot water. And you put a little more water or just a mud ball. Why are we so impressed with ourselves? It's amazing to me. The messenger is not to taint the message or call attention to himself. I'm to study. So when I come to you, I give you the word of God. Not my opinion. I'm not to insert my opinion. I'm not to insert myself. I'm not to bring attention to myself. I'm not to walk around God and you go, ooh, how spiritual he is. Or the way he turns his Bible. And there's a lot of weird stuff goes on in churches, ladies and gentlemen. God help those people. The messenger is called a herald in the New Testament. He was one who was hired by the state or the king to make announcements, proclamations. Now, the message was not his. It was given to him. The authority was not his. It was vested to him. He was not responsible for the people's response. All he was responsible for was to proclaim the message. That's me. I am not responsible for your decision. I proclaim it. The authority is vested to me. It's not my message. You make a decision on it. I can't force you. But I do expect, and it's always the same, some will accept, some will reject. That's the way it's always been. The excellency of the glory is to be of God, not of the man. Second Corinthians 4, 7. The focus of the scriptures is never the man again. He's the mere instrument. When you're drinking water on a hot day and you're sweating and all of a sudden you grab that glass of water and you just guzzle it down and you, do you put it down, do you bow to the glass? Do you say, thank you, glass? Glass didn't quench your thirst. It's the water. Why don't we get all blown away by men? Thank God for those men. Thank God that men are holy, that men see God. Thank God, but don't worship them. They have feet of clay like everybody else. The focus is always God. The danger is always the overestimation of oneself. If you compare yourself among yourself, the Bible says we're not wise in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. But we have this treasure in this earthen vessel, Paul says, that the excellency and the power may be of God, not of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Wow. The message and messenger must always point people to Christ then. Evident by realizing that Jesus is the one working through the man. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Evident by relying on the Holy Spirit to teach and to illuminate. And as we pray that God would deal with your heart, with my heart, as we move on. 
Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, he says, who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, meaning the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. In other words, the Old Testament, the law, only pointed me as guilty. It accused me. The law cannot make me perfect. When you drive down the freeway at 70 miles an hour, does it make you drive slower the next time? Does it make you better? No. The law accuses you. Policeman pulls you over. He doesn't give you a citation for good driving. The law accuses you. Every man's guilty before God because the law demands here. Ready? Perfection. Any takers? And so we cast ourselves on the grace of God, ladies and gentlemen. Paul puts it this way, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23-25. The whole world is proudful, arrogant. Have you forgotten where you were? We think we're the greatest thing since ice cream. Perhaps few people today know why the face of Lincoln is engraved in American penny rather than one of the largest coins. The reason for this goes back to the boyhood days of David Brenner, who had uh, known nothing of liberty as much and much of hunger and want in Russia. And after coming to America, where he found both liberty and opportunity waiting him, Banner became a famous sculptor and was the man responsible for placing the face of Lincoln on the most lowly coin of the United States, who had said, and I'm quoting him, the Lord must love the common people. He has made so many of them. That's what Lincoln said. This man knew this. Brenner's idea was that there would be more pennies minted than any other coin, and that consequently there would be more of them in the pockets of common people. Wow. Such is the case with the instruments of God. They are common people and they are to desire, to strive for others to remember who the Lord is and what he's done. You know, the, 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 the moon's a reflector. It receives its light from the sun. The, the moon doesn't give light. It reflects it. We're to be like the moon. Jesus gives the light. We're to be just reflectors of it. Nowhere is it more evident that the message is more important than the man than the book of Jonah, as you know. Four little chapters. Jonah was not the most willing instrument of God. God told him, go to Nineveh. He says, not of your life. I'm God of here. He gets a ship off Tarshish, Spain. The storm, God gives a storm. God prepares us well. Throw him overboard. He's in there. He's going up and down. He thinks he's going to die. He burps him up when he repents. Here he goes from Nineveh. He preaches for 40 days. You guys are dead. 40 days, you're dead. Is that a loving message? Nope. But the king, to the least, said, maybe God will be merciful to us and forgive us. Nineveh got saved on a maybe. Now, the problem with Jonah was not that he didn't know his God. He did know his God. He was loving, forgiving. He was the recipient of it. Here's the problem. He didn't want to be like his God. He didn't want to forgive. See, I can see why I'm saved, but you, I don't know. Right? That's the way it is, right? My sin on you looks a lot uglier. Wow. Hmm. Paul and Barnabas preached to Lystra, and they were taken for gods, and they refused to obstruct the message in Acts 14, 8 through 18. They tore their clothes and declared they were mere men. They told them to turn to the living God and they restrained the multitudes from sacrificing them. They were in their greatest peril of losing their ministry by taking glory away from God. Two simple principles, ladies and gentlemen. God's holiness, wrap your arms around it. God's glory, Get completely away from it. It's real simple. Real simple. And so these are some of the lessons God wants us to know. 
from this man James. Um, when you think of James, the son of Alphaeus, remember these three things. The little we know about James, the lack of information that is a common practice in the Bible, and these lessons that God wants us to learn that are very, very important until the Lord returns. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your love, your goodness. We thank you for your word and your goodness to us, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to deal with us, Lord. We pray for those who are listening over the Internet. Father, those that are here, and we pray that you would speak to those who do not know you, that you would make yourself known as you've died for them, you've died for them, you've paid the price of their sin, and that, Lord, you desire them to repent and to call on your name. As you're praying, if... If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm asking you to, to reflect on what the Bible says, that Jesus is God who became man. And God loves the world so much that he sacrificed his own son for you and for me. That's an amazing, amazing deed. And if I believe that he died in my place and rose from the dead, that I can call upon him to forgive me is the only way I can be forgiven. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. You cannot undo sin. You cannot go back. You cannot undo. You cannot redo. All you can do is acknowledge your sin and ask forgiveness and let him give you a new heart and begin to walk with God as he transforms you from day to day and puts joy on your heart, hope for life. And you look to him. If you're over the internet or you're here, if you don't know Jesus, this is a simple prayer of repentance. You can accept him right where you sit, and he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.